Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I've entitled this message today, Our Union with Christ. Our Union with Christ. Last week we looked at the first four verses of chapter 6, and Paul asking a question that someone was asking him. A question that was common when he would share the gospel, particularly among Jews. Uh, It was a question that uh, he had had repeated, so he writes it in here. And that question is, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, absolutely not. That doesn't follow. That does not follow the grace that should reign. Grace does not invite sin. Grace runs from sin. Grace that God pours out to us turns us away from sin. Paul saying, how can we who died to sin still live in it? It's not a probability, nor is it a possibility that someone who is in Christ would continue to walk in sin, to continue to live in that manner. Um, I want us to recall that, and I want us to begin in verse 5 today, looking at this, and I want to precede this with a little bit of technical Greek jargon. I'm not going to go very far with it, but I just want you to hear this. The indicative precedes the imperative. The indicative precedes the imperative. So you may say, translate, okay. What we are leads to what we do or obey. What we are leads to what we do or obey. Uh, We do not obey in order to be redeemed. Rather, we are redeemed, and that redemption enables us to obey. Long way to get there, but that's what Paul is saying here. In answer to the question, he says, how can we who died still live in sin. If we have died. What we are in the Christian life precedes our ability to obey what God would have us to do. We can't do it otherwise. And this is emphasized not only in Paul, but also in the Old Testament. Um, You may remember the story of Exodus, how God sent Moses into the land of Egypt with the law and said, if you would obey the law, I'll bring you out of Egypt. I really ought to have some quizzical faces looking at me right now. You may be thinking, I don't remember that story. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, Because he didn't send Moses into Egypt with the law. He sent Moses into Egypt with a revelation of himself. 
He sent Moses into Egypt with the revelation of his grace. He didn't send him to, into Egypt to say, if you obey my law, I'll bring you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage and I will redeem you. Instead, he said, hey, Moses, I am. Go tell my people. <laughs> That's how it was. And God delivered them and what happened? They journeyed on and they came to Sinai. And the God who had made himself known to them now made his ways known to them. And they struggled with those ways. I mean, we see Israel struggling through those ways throughout the Old Testament. I think on purpose. And so uh, Paul is, is making the argument that no, no. Because what you have become is designed to make you more like the one who made you what you have become. And so I want us to think about that today and this union with Christ. And that's where he goes because he says, For if we have been united with him, if we have been united with him, and everything flows off of that thought, being in union with Jesus Christ. I have one point today. Our union with Christ frees us from sin. I had two points. It'll be my one point next week. And that is our union with Christ enables us to live to God. Okay? I'll just go ahead and give you that one. You can go ahead and have it scrawled out in your notebook for next week. Our union with Christ sets us free. Look what he says, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we have been united with him. How do I know? How is one united with him? Well, Paul has spent the better part of the book of Romans up to where we are telling us exactly how one comes into union with Jesus Christ. He tells us that we do not come to Jesus Christ by works of the law. We do not come to Jesus Christ by the things that we do. We are not born into, as in a heritage of being in Christ. No, instead, we come to Jesus Christ by the grace of God through faith in Him. 
we come to be in union with Him uh, by the regenerating power of God and the overwhelming grace of God. And He exercises in such a way in us that we believe the Word. Have you been united with Him? This union is not a physical union. It is a spiritual union. And it is only through faith. What is it that we believe? Well, we believe, I believe, what the Bible says about me. We have to believe and understand what the Bible says about us in order to be united with Christ. And that is that I am a sinner bound by sin and unable and unwilling, if it were possible, to set myself free. Do we realize that as, the, as people, as human beings? That if it were possible for us to liberate ourselves from sin, to liberate ourselves and run to Jesus Christ, if it were possible for us to do that, we wouldn't. That's how desperate we are. That's how depraved we are. We would find our own heaven here on earth in the things we enjoy and the things that fulfill the desires of the flesh. And when we think everything was just fine because I'm happy, and because I have a good fishing hole, or because I have a big screen TV and I can watch the games, we would run away from Christ if it were left up to us. Thanks be to God that he works in such a way through the power of the gospel being preached that he calls to us. Didn't he do that? He calls to us. You wretched sinner, I love you. Come to my son. And he brings us to himself. And he saves us. Union with Christ comes by means of the gospel where I believe what the Bible says about me, but I also believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God and he came to us and became like us in every way, living a sinless life and dying to pay the price to remove my sin. He bore my sin. He took my sin upon himself. By his stripes, we are healed. I believe he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, defeating death and proving that the wage of death was now worthless for those who believe. Because sin had been defeated for all those who trust in him. Man, that resurrection is good news. Man, that he's alive, that's great. That means that sin could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. 
and that he's alive. And in believing this gospel of Jesus Christ, we come to him by faith, believing. Lord, I believe you. What was it that Adam didn't do in the garden? He didn't believe God. He didn't believe God. And it's the exercise of faith. I believe you, Lord. Where he redeems us and he saves us and he gives us newness of life. One who is not in union with Christ, as we read through this text, is not dead to sin. One who is not in union with Christ, the old self is not crucified with Christ. One who is not in union with Christ is still enslaved to sin. And so it's a right question for me to ask that I asked at the beginning. Have you been united with him? Is sin free-flowing in your life? Is, is there, does it seem that sin has the power in your life? In our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions? Sin is out of character for someone who is in Christ, someone who is united to him. One thing that Paul is not saying is that Christians won't sin because we will. Another thing that Paul is not saying is that Christians won't be tempted because we are. But what he is saying is that the pattern of life for one who is in Christ is not one of sin, but it's one of holiness. It's one of seeking the Lord and his will and longing to grow in doing the word of God. One precedes the other. Union with Christ precedes obedience to Christ. Paul goes on, for if we have been united with him, in a death like his. Obviously, our death isn't exactly like his in the sense that we have not been nailed to a cross physically. But there is some parallel that Paul wants us to grasp and to see. He wants us to see the parallel between Christ being crucified and us being crucified with him. He wants us to see the parallel of Christ's death and what dying to Christ 
means today for those who believe. And so I want us to to examine this, this thought of a death like his. Because uh, if we're in union with him, having been, if we have been united with him in a death like his, like this gospel, he goes on and tells us a few things about that and what it means. First of all, this death like his. He goes on and says, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. A death like his, our old self, was crucified with him. A death like his is us being crucified with him. Notice that he doesn't say, say, if this, where he was speaking earlier, uh, he's now saying instead, we know. This is something that we know. As believers, we know things. All right, We grow in, in knowledge of the Word of God. We grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We grow in the knowledge of His work. We grow in the knowledge of what that work accomplished on the cross. And here it says, we know that our old self, literally old man. What does that mean? The old self was crucified with him. What does it mean? Well, one thing that I never like to do is leap out of the present context into some other book, even though it's by the same author. I like the present context first. And so this old man based on the previous discussion in chapter 5, I believe is talking about uh, where uh, where Adam transgressed. It says, Therefore, as one trespass, that of Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now I'll just stop right there. What he's talking about, I believe, when he says our old self was crucified with him is referring to what we were in Adam. We have Adam, and then we have the new Adam. All right? We have Adam who trespassed, and then we have Jesus who walked in obedience. John R. Stott put it this way, what was crucified with Christ was not 
part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. So does this include the old nature? Yes, but it's not just the old nature. It's all of me. My whole body was involved in it. My soul was involved in it. That's, that's how my life was lived. And here it says our old self was crucified, died. To that former manner of life. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. That the old self which is part of the former manner of life. And speaking of how we live. The old self being the whole body of it. In other words, we don't walk in obedience just in our nature, do we? We walk in obedience in our whole being and who we are, our whole person. It's not just a little part inside of me, but it's all of me. That's been crucified with him, with Christ, together with him. That's great. Because let me tell you what we could never do. Shake Adam. We couldn't shake Adam. We couldn't get him off of us. I, we, we, have a, we have a kitten called Nuisance. She's earned her name. Uh, nuisance is a nuisance in many ways. And she is without you even knowing it sometimes. We currently have broiler chickens in chicken tractors right now, and I can just kind of scoop that thing open and go in and reach in to grab food, pull it out, turn around, and she's already in there, and I barely open the thing. She's a nuisance. But do you know one thing that she will do? She will grab hold of my pants leg sometime as I'm going along. And as I'm just standing there, I'll stop and I'll just stand there and she'll just kind of hang out and she's always wanting food. They all are. It's embarrassing. We have nine cats. I know people who have more. <laughs> but we probably don't have as many rats, mice, and snakes as you do. So there's a, there's a payoff. But I was just standing there the other day and nuisance decided that my leg was a tree trunk. And she started climbing that thing. And boy, I started doing this. That little girl can hang on, okay? She hung on. I could not shake her off my leg for anything. Could not get rid of that cat. I mean, she was, and, and the more I shook my leg, the more she clung to me. And finally, I just grabbed hold of her and tossed her off. Some of y'all would have been upset with how I did that too. You do not have what it takes to shake the nature that passed on to you in Adam. You do not have what it takes 
to get rid of the sinfulness that is passed down through generations from Adam. It is not possible. That's why when you were crucified, when I was crucified, when we as believers in Jesus Christ were crucified with him, it says right here that the old self was crucified with him. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. The NIV renders it powerless. That's too extreme for what it's saying. Any Christians in here? Oh, good. About four. Sometimes it's rhetorical, sometimes it's not. But we got a few right over here. Man, if, if, if we are in Christ, I want you to know, sin is still possible, isn't it? For you four who heard, you know, yeah. Not only is it possible, it's probable for those who are in Christ. So Paul's not saying we'll never sin. But what does it mean for the old self or that the body of sin, looking back again still at Adam, the body of sin that he created, if you will, the body of sin that is in me and of me before I was in Christ, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The root of that word means lazy or idle. The prefix of that word is kata, which means uh, generally to dominate. So what we're looking at is something that is and is powerful to be dominated by a pressing down, if you will. I'm trying to give us a picture of that. Thought of a couple of different ways of thinking about it. That sin is a barrier to keep us from getting to holiness. Not only will we not do it, we can't do it. And so we see this domination taking place. Now, where I live, uh, you've got some miles to travel up 315 uh, to get there. And I want you to know one of the hazards that you may run into and sometimes are even likely to run into is a tree down in the middle of the road. That's true if any of you live on a farm-to-market road, you know, and the trees aren't cut way back off the road. There's going to be a tree down every once in a while right in the middle of the road. Volunteer fire departments, it seems like, use chainsaws more than they use water hoses. And if you come up on one of those trees, how many of y'all carry chainsaws in your vehicle? Yeah, okay, well, there's one right there. I knew that. I don't. 
Now, I got an old truck, and it's got some dents in it, but I don't want to create new ones. So I don't just sit there and ram that thing. No, I need somebody to come and remove the barrier so I can proceed. Jesus did that. With that prefix, kata, speaking of domination, we can see that, we can understand that it's being pressed down. I couldn't help but think this. Jesus is sitting on it, keeping it from having any mobility in your life. In other words, once sin had reign, it ruled you. It dominated you. I mean, it had reign in your life. I mean, the environment you were in, the things that you did, the thoughts that you had, everything involved sinfulness. And when we come to Jesus Christ, He takes that power and He presses it down. That power of sin that enslaves us and keeps us back. And He pushes it down. To where it is idle in the believer's life. Not dead. It's not dead. It's idle. If you sin, it's not because the body of sin. It's not because sin leapt out and grabbed you. He's rendered it idle in your life. That's the best picture I can give. It can't move backwards or forwards. Except that you come and move it. That you take hold of it. Is there temptation to sin? Absolutely. Yes. But as one who has been crucified with Christ, or that our old self was crucified with him, it has no dominion. Something else has dominion. Namely, Jesus has dominion. Namely, grace has dominion. As he says over here, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace may also, also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Brought to nothing. A death like his. Our old self was crucified with him. Look at another place. says in verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin. For the death he died, he died to sin. I'll finish the verse. Once for all. Once and for all. That's what that means. Once and for all. Doesn't mean all people. It just means all, once and for all, finally. 
he died. But the life he lives, he lives to God. For the death he died, he died to sin. Now you think about that for a moment, because this is a difficult phrase. We we have to ask the question, why would Christ, the sinless one, have to die to sin? What does that mean? Why does... He died to sin. Why is Paul saying this? Some people talk about it being the atoning work and what his atoning work did. But that's not in context of what's being talked about. Instead, what we see where it says, For the death he died, he died to sin. It's difficult also because in verse 2 of chapter 6, Paul says, uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's using this language to refer to sinful people who need to be rescued from sin's domination. So what's he mean when he's applying this to Christ? Why would Christ, the sinless one, have to die to sin? Maintaining the context of what we're talking about, of Christians not continuing in sin, we should understand this. Christ, as a result of his real identification with human beings, was subjected to the power of sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, We see in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, and through death, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the dead level, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in chapter 4, uh, I, I'm sorry, chapter, uh, yeah, yeah, 4, I got it. I'm getting my chapters mixed up. Uh, Verse 14, we're told to hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted as we are. He felt the power of sin. He never gave into it like Adam did. But he knew it was there. In this sense, he needed to die to sin's power. And what that does is it maintains the general parallel between Christ's death and ours in him. It also shows us that Uh, We are to be imitators of Christ in resisting temptation.
Sin is idle until it is awakened by your desire. Sin is idle because we have been crucified with him. Jumping to verse 11. Paul gives some instructions, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. If you're a new believer, I hope you will take in what what Paul is saying there. All of us should consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul is using a word here of understanding. He's using a word here, consider. That's to think, it's to ponder, it's to come to an understanding that this is the way you need to think. He's used the slave imagery here. And he's let us know something. That we have been set free. Let me ask you, do you always feel free? Do you always think yourself free? In the Civil War, a freed slave after that war would have known in a sense that he was liberated. He would have known in a sense that he had been set free. He was no longer a slave. But it may take some time for that truth to penetrate the consciousness of that slave in a way that led to changes in behavior. There's not a a switch that gets flipped when you come to know Jesus Christ and suddenly all your behavior becomes new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's my position. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is my position. But our practice doesn't necessarily look that way, does it? Sometimes it takes time to change. Which is why God commands us to bear with one another. And to be patient with one another. And not to look down our noses at other people. They may be Christians, but they're not like me. Well, I'm glad because that's a little bit of arrogance there, don't you think? Paul is pointing to something and he's letting us know, look, if you are in Christ, you're not going to continue in sin. At first, you're going to make some adjustments, but I want you to know those adjustments will be made. 
you won't go throughout your life being a Christian in name only and then go to heaven. There will be fruitfulness in your life that you have been changed. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Paul demonstrated that in Galatians, having gotten on to Peter in front of everybody that Peter sinned in front of. That's how he did that, by the way. He didn't say, hey, Peter, come over here. Let's go to this room. No, Peter sinned in front of these guys. He was eating with the Gentiles until the Jews showed up. And then what did he do? He wouldn't go anywhere near the Gentiles. You hypocrite. That's what Paul did. You hypocrite. What's wrong with you? You're making distinctions here. And that's where that popular verse comes from. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I don't live anymore. My purpose is not what I say it is. My purpose is what he says it is. Christ didn't come to live for your purpose. You exist for his purposes. And that's what he's called us to. I want you to look with me one last verse, then I'll close. In Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, Paul says, man, I've lost everything for the sake of Christ. I've suffered many things for the sake of Christ. And everything that I'm speaking of, everything that I've lost, everything I've given up, everything I've suffered, I've done so through faith. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. There it is. That by any possible, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. There it is again. That I may know him more, more intimately. To be intimately acquainted with him. To know the things about him, but to know the person. Who is my Redeemer? Those we love, what do we want to do? I want to know about them. Don't you? 
Don't you want to know them? Don't you want to know the things that they love? Don't you want to know the things that they desire? I want to be more intimately acquainted with him. And I want you to know we're at the first of the year. You cannot be more intimately acquainted with Jesus if you are not intimately acquainted with his word. You cannot be intimately acquainted with Jesus if you are not intimately acquainted with his word. You cannot live out a life in union with Christ if you don't know the person of Christ. If you don't know his ways, if you don't know his mind, if you don't know his thinking, if you don't know his expectations, how will you please someone if you do not know what they expect from you? That I may know him. Set your heart on knowing Him. And that I may know the power of His resurrection. That resurrection that enables me to live to God and to put sin to death. It's the power of the resurrection that did not let sin out of that grave. That did not let sin loose at all anymore. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Him dying, sin was gone. Him rising proved it was gone. And I want you to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about putting sin to death in our life. And that's what Paul is saying that we do when we're united with him. Not only that, may share in his sufferings. He's not talking about getting nailed to a tree. He may not even be talking about you suffering martyrdom or imprisonment or stoning or beating. I know Josh has told some of y'all that he got you know, stoned in, in Ethiopia. Don't let him fool you. He was in a car, okay? He's talking about that kind of suffering, but it doesn't have to be that kind of suffering. Sometimes the suffering that we experience is the suffering where we lose friends and we have family members that are estranged to us. They want nothing to do with us. Or we lose our jobs. I'll endure anything, is what Paul is saying. So that I might become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Is that your hope? It's my hope. And it's a hope that is founded on the promises and the word of God. So may I encourage you to get to know him intimately if you are in union with him and that you may grow in knowing him and loving him because as you do, your life will reflect that in every way. Let's pray together.
Father, we give you thanks and we praise you. That, Lord, you saved us. And, Lord, you took away our sin. And you did it for those who did not deserve it. Who mocked you and ridiculed you with words and with life. And, Lord, you have redeemed us. And not only that, you have united us with yourself. It's humbling to think about, Lord, if we were to take time to meditate on it more and more. That those of us who are believers are actually united with you. With your death. With your resurrection. Being shepherded and led by you. Tethered. Yoked with. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Our master and our savior. This is true of us. But there are times when our lives do not reflect that we believe that truth. So, Lord, humble us and convict us and help us. in putting sin to death in our life. Not letting it reign. In Jesus' name, amen.